0: Sometimes in medicine, things just aren't where they're supposed to be. Whether you know it or not, bacteria or cells or water or blood can travel to places that they're supposed to stay out of. Somehow these substances have jumped the fence. Without appropriate recognition, serious damage can be done. Staphylococcus aureus is one of those bugs that you really don't want to jump the fence. It can cause both mild and very serious infections. In fact, There is the chance that you've previously had a Staphylococcus aureus infection, whether you know it or not. Remember that time you had the painful boil on your face? Unfortunately, it can become more than just a nuisance and invade beyond the skin into the blood, lungs, bones, joints, heart valves, and elsewhere. Today, our patient has Staphylococcus aureus bacteremia, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by internal medicine residents, meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled Good Bug Gone Bad, and is all about Staphylococcus aureus bacteremia. All right, time for a minute physiology. Staphylococcus aureus, or Staph aureus as we'll call it, is a highly successful opportunistic bacteria. Coagulase-negative species are a highly prevalent part of the normal human cutaneous microbiome. Staphylococcus aureus, which is a coagulase-positive species, is a nasopharyngeal colonizer in one-third of individuals, although most will not develop infection. Staph aureus is one of the leading causes of bacterial infections and can present as relatively minor skin infections or even as fatal invasive disease. As a pathogen, Staph aureus are gram-positive spherical cells, or cocci, that are arranged in clusters resembling grapes when viewed under the microscope. Staph aureus causes infection by tissue invasion, which may be local or systemic. Some strains possess the ability to produce toxins, leading to such clinical syndromes such as toxic shock syndrome, food poisoning, and staphylococcal scalded skin syndrome. An intact skin barrier coupled with the innate immune system helps to protect against infection. Illnesses which compromise these host defenses, such as injection drug use, vascular access devices, and prosthetic implants, burns, chronic skin diseases, systemic steroids, diabetes, dialysis, and advanced age, can lead to increased risk of staphylococcal infection. The mortality rate of untreated Staph aureus bacteremia is greater than 80% and 20-40% to in those who receive treatment. The most common sources of bacteremia are skin and soft tissue infections, central venous catheters and other intravascular devices, bone and joint infections, pneumonia, and endocarditis. The source of bacteremia is not identified in a quarter of these cases. However, once bacteremia has developed, the bacteria itself can create various metastatic sites of infection. One of the crucial properties of staph aureus to be aware of is its ability to create a biofilm on medical implants, such as indwelling catheters or prosthetic devices. This can prevent antibiotic penetrance and make eradication of infection even more difficult. Let's go see our patient. Your first step in any patient encounter will be to assess whether your patient is stable or not. What is their GCS? Are their ABCs stable? What are their vitals? As discussed previously, Staph aureus bacteremia is associated with high mortality and can have many complications such as infective endocarditis, septic emboli, necrotizing infections, amongst many others. Some patients may present with sepsis and require fluid resuscitation, early antibiotics, as well as further treatment with, for instance, vasopressors if septic shock is present. Once your patient is stable, you can then move forward with your assessment. On history, you want to clarify any risk factors, such as recent surgery or hospitalization, prosthetic devices, immunosuppression, malignancy, kidney disease requiring hemodialysis, injection drug use, diabetes, and respiratory illness. You also want to ask about back or joint pain to assess for complications such as vertebral osteomyelitis and septic arthritis and the presence of any neurologic symptoms. It is also important to assess for any risk factors for MRSA or methicillin-resistant staph aureus, such as recent hospitalization, residence in a long-term care home, hemodialysis, HIV infection, injection drug use, history of incarceration, and prior antibiotic use. On physical exam, you want to assess for the presence of an intravascular catheter, prior surgical sites, skin infections, as well as look at all sites of prosthetic devices. You also want to examine for evidence of metastatic seeding of infection. Clinically, this may present as manifestations of endocarditis, such as new or worsening regurgitant murmur, Janeway lesions, or Osler nodes. Remember that Janeway lesions are painless, or pain away, and Osler nodes are painful. You also want to look for hot, red, and swollen joints. Patients should also be screened neurologically for any focal deficits. A staph aureus can either cause septic emboli, which can mimic a stroke syndrome, or brain abscesses. The diagnosis of staph aureus bacteremia is typically made via blood culture diagnosis. If you are suspecting that a patient has staph aureus bacteremia, you want to empirically get at least two separate blood cultures from two separate sites, as well as from any indwelling lines such as a PICC line or a central catheter. If you suspect that the patient may also have endocarditis, guidelines would recommend that you get three sets of blood cultures 30 minutes apart from three separate sites. Now, once the diagnosis of staph aureus bacteremia has been established, all patients must be evaluated for metastatic sites of infection. They should also have repeat blood cultures 48 to 72 hours after starting appropriate antibiotics to ensure that they clear the infection from their blood. Patients should also undergo an echocardiogram to assess for any evidence of infective endocarditis, as many cases are not clinically suspected based on history or physical examination alone. A transthoracic echocardiogram is often pursued first as it is less invasive, albeit less sensitive, compared to a transesophageal echocardiogram. In the event of a normal transthoracic echocardiogram, the decision to pursue a transesophageal echocardiogram will depend on many factors, including whether the patient's blood cultures clear quickly, whether their fevers quickly resolve with therapy, whether a source of the infection has been identified and removed, and whether there are other metastatic sites of infection which would warrant a prolonged course of therapy. A transesophageal echocardiogram is required in those with an intracardiac device such as an ICD, pacemaker, or a prosthetic valve. Other imaging modalities such as ultrasound, CT, or MRI may be pursued based on the patient's symptoms or suspected sites of metastatic infection. Onto our treatment. The four components of treatment of Staph aureus bacteremia are as follows. First, infectious disease consultation, as this is associated with lower mortality, relapse, and readmission for these patients. The second is source control. This involves changing or removing all central lines, draining abscesses if present, and the removal of infected hardware when possible. Removal of the focus of infection is key. And not doing this is associated with 78% risk of relapse. Third is appropriate antibiotics, which we will discuss shortly. And finally, it is important to repeat blood cultures and monitor for clearance of the bacteremia. The empiric regimen for Staph aureus bacteremia is based on the likelihood that the isolate is MRSA. MRSA stands for methicillin-resistant Staph aureus. Methicillin resistance is mediated by a penicillin-binding protein encoded by the mecA gene that permits the organism to grow and divide in the presence of methicillin and other beta-lactam antibiotics. MRSA infections are therefore treated with non-beta-lactam antibiotics such as vancomycin. In contrast to MRSA, MSSA, which stands for Methicillin Susceptible Staph Aureus, are susceptible to cefazolin and cloxicillin. When staph aureus bacteremia is initially diagnosed in the microbiology lab, it may take one to two more days before susceptibility results are known. During this period, the patient can be treated empirically with vancomycin, which covers both MSSA and MRSA, until susceptibility results are available. Definitive therapy for MSSA can either be cephaslin 2g IVQ8H or cloxicillin 2g IVQ4H. An important reminder is that cefazolin also has poor CNS penetration when compared to cloxicillin. Therefore, cloxicillin should be your drug of choice if the patient has CNS involvement. Complete treatment of staph aureus bacteremia also needs to be given intravenously at this point in time. For MRSA, the treatment of choice is vancomycin. Other options include daptomycin or linezolid. Therapeutic monitoring is required while a patient is receiving vancomycin because it has a narrow therapeutic window. Most guidelines would recommend a vancomycin trough level of 15 to 20 for patients with staph aureus bacteremia. In general, the default duration of treatment is at least four weeks of IV antibiotics, but two weeks may be adequate for selected uncomplicated infections. These are typically nosocomial-acquired infections where definitive source control is properly obtained with rapid blood culture clearance, for instance, within 48 to 96 hours of effective therapy, no signs of metastatic disease, normal echocardiogram, and no risk factors for complicated infections such as prosthetic devices. Four to six weeks or longer may be required for more complicated infections. Guidance from Infectious Disease Service with respect to the length of antibiotics is recommended. Time for a Medicine Minute. A large retrospective cohort study published in the Clinical Infectious Diseases Journal in 2015 examined 5,784 patients with MSSA bacteremia in 122 hospitals in the United States. When comparing patient outcomes in those receiving beta-lactams versus vancomycin as empiric therapy, meaning therapy received two days before or four days after initial positive blood culture draw. There were no differences in 30-day all-cause mortality. However, when these patients were analyzed based on what definitive therapy they ultimately received, those receiving beta-lactams had a 35% lower mortality compared to those receiving vancomycin. The study demonstrated that beta-lactam therapy is superior to vancomycin in the definitive treatment of MSSA bacteremia. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Good Bug Gone Bad An Approach to Staph aureus bacterium. This episode was written by Dr. Helen Jennis, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Philip Lamb, infectious disease physician, and Dr. Jonathan Alon, general internist. This episode was recorded by Allison Lai, sound editing by Nafiz Hussain. The Internet Work series was created by Alison Lai and is executively produced by Alison Lai, Leah Karianopoulos, and Zara Morelli theme song by Lakshman Visantha Mohan. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. As always, we have an associated infographic and resources on our website at www.theinternetwork.com. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you again soon.